Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually bollocks, sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> What a week in the Premier League. 34 goals scored in the last couple of days, every single one of which will be described in detail on today's show. I'm joking. I'm joking. Come back, come back. Oh, I've already lost a few. I've well, lost now a few that we're alone, Lord, we can, talk, we can speak freely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, dear, that was, that was terrible, wasn't it? What? The, the, the 70-minute segment on Monday? Just whoa, the whoa, way, whoa. just the reaction of, of, I've never seen such anger. Such rage from listeners. People <laughs> swearing never to listen again. That was it. We lost half the audience, Owen. We're speaking no, to the remaining half. No, only 41%. We've only lost 41%. Well, there was plenty of positive reaction as well. So I feel we've strengthened, strengthened our bonds with the people who are still listening. We've energized and reduced <laughs> our base. It's high energy, but low, yeah. uh, low mass. You 59% are- of our Twitter poll said that Ken Early, Ken Early should do more ghouls. Yeah. But I mean, I, with, with a, a tiny minority, forty-one percent, saying that we should never do it. Ever. Yeah, but there was also there was also a significant portion of people who unfollowed the account <laughs> and blocked blocked us, so they didn't even see the poll. But they would have voted no to bring it back up to fifty, at least fifty-fifty. So I do apologize. I mean, it is true that it had never been done before. Never been done before. I don't because think. it's so obviously a terrible idea. Yeah, boring. Yeah, it's so obviously out of sync with the with the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's out of time. It's out of time, really. It's 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 just if you were on a desert island, maybe. If you're on a desert island with no contact with human civilization, maybe you might be like, I haven't heard a human voice in in 35 years. Okay, I will listen to this. You know, it'd be like I, I will listen. But for most people in today's sort of 21st century environment, too much. I sort of feel bad. I, I put you up to it, so I kind of feel like. I oh no, take, it was your well, fault. I mean, I, yeah. I pretty I thought I made it pretty obvious that it was your idea and your fault. Sure, but. <laughs> but in many years' time, Ken, when this is presented as the low point of podcasting, yeah. when, even when podcasting is long gone, yeah. this will be in some sort of documentary. Nobody's going to hear my voice. They're going to hear you blabbing on mm. for 17 minutes uh, describing the goals in the FA Cup third round. I think that could have been part of the issue, the FA Cup. I think we, we there's a, a, there are only 10 games in a Premier League mm. rant. Mm. I mean, I think that that's a more, it's certainly a more uh, uh, doable feat 
And you're talking about all of those FA Cup games. 32 games. Yeah. I trying to work out how it was only 32, but of course, 32 games means 64 teams. Yeah. So. You are very welcome to today's <laughs> Irish Times Second Captain's Football really Podcast. It did have a deadening effect on your brain there. Yeah. Owen mm. Murphy and Ken all here. Hi, guys. Hello there. I will ask you both for... I'll tell you what I'll do. We're not going to detail all the goals. People have seen them. Yeah. People have watched the games live. They've watched Match of the Day. Yeah. I will ask you for your favourite of those 34 goals hmm. over the last two days. Just the midweek matches, Premier League. Andre, are you for me? Aye, that was a good goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's my favourite goal. Now... Yeah, yeah, there, there was more skill. See, I'm, I'm, I do enjoy, say, Johnny Housen's goal. Yeah. What was Johnny Housen's goal? On the half volley. Oh, oh, yeah. A very sweetly struck, rising half volley into the top of the net. I'm going to cheat and name two, if that's okay. okay. Oh, God. Dimitri Payet and Enner Valencia, both scoring free kicks for West Ham against Bournemouth. Yeah. Incredible. Two very different free kicks. Uh, Payet was one of the, was a classic dipping, curling. So it was more... Payet's one was brilliant. Yeah, the Pyatt was the first one in off the frame of the, the goal, whereas yeah. Valencia was more of an old-style Ronaldo free kick. Full dip, not not very, no swerve, really, no, no curl as such, no yeah. spin in that way, just one of those weird dipping ones that have that move strangely in the air, whereas Pyatt was more of a, a a classic, I guess, curled free kick into the top corner. The Valencia one annoyed me. Why? Uh, because, really well because the goalkeeper, Boris, has completely cocked it up. It's his think? fault, absolutely. Did you not see the swerve in the air? No, he kicked it almost straight in. And and I remember the the commentary going something like, "Well, it's it's the wonderful skill there. I'm it's getting it up and then down." Yeah, but I'm not talking about. Sorry, when I'm I saying swerve, I, I mean more. I'm not talking about side to side movement. But there was a little bit of there was a fair bit of movement. I thought uh, it dipped very quickly as as some of those Ronaldo free kicks went. He doesn't seem to score as many free kicks anymore. But anyway, no. when Ronaldo used to score those free kicks, it was similar to that. I thought it was a difficult one for the keeper. No, I thought uh, the goalkeeper should have had it. He, he obviously didn't expect a shot and neglected to cover the possibility. And it was, it was a nicely struck shot. But, you know, the, the commentator saying, oh, the skill is lies in getting the ball to get up and then down so quickly. You know, when you're that close to the box. And I thought, no, this is the, you know, what about the theorem of Pythagoras? Right, this this ball is actually outside the the side of the box. You know what I mean? It's going, it's traveling towards the goal along a hypotenuse. It's not going, it's not like a free kick in the D, which is just outside the box and, you know, about as close as it's possible to get to the goal from outside the box. This is going over a much longer distance from, like, over a diagonal. This Gravity is going to take the ball down eventually. I'd be more impressed if... Valencia was able to laser a shot all the way across, way over the bar and into the far roof of the stand mm. without the ball coming down at all. That, he's to me, would be more skillful. Gravity. He's, he's, he's merely adhering to the rules. I have a feeling you might be difficult oh, to please today. Kevin. Ah, I'm in a bad mood. All right, well, let's see. <laughs> see how that reflects in the rest of the show, or is reflected, I should say. Richie Sadler's in studio today after the report on sports. Psychologists. So where are we? Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of good goals. Um, some of them at uh, Anfield as well. Olivier Giroud, one of his best goals for Arsenal, I'm sure. Um, I can't think of too many better ones. Um, and a great goal also from Firmino, uh, his second goal of the game. Uh, and uh, really a, an excellent game, which everybody was uh, praising afterwards, including the two managers. Although I imagine Arsene Wenger was slightly more slightly more disappointed of the two of them um, uh, I'm frustrated by the result and not disappointed by the performance even if we started apprehensively 
uh, Wenger said the frustration comes from the fact that at 3-2 we had three situations where we could have made it 4-2 and made a bad decision overall it was a game between two games two teams who gave absolutely everything uh, look at the results tonight it showed everywhere is even the dressing room is frustrated but I feel they need to transform that frustration into more motivation there are more positives than negatives tonight um, everywhere is even yeah I mean that has been obviously the pattern of the season and if you look at the season um, I saw the statistic um, mentioned earlier that Arsenal have 43 points now they're leading the league and that's the lowest total of any team that's been leading the league at this stage since 2001 which was when Leeds uh, Leeds were having one of their great David O'Leary seasons that's I think was it 2001 or 2000 that they got to the semi-final of the champion uh, sem- I don't know sure but it's I think, okay. it, was, I think, I think it was 2001 actually because they, they lost to and they lose to Valencia, who then went to the final. Yep. Um, so it is um, a competitive uh, league, obviously. But I wonder if that pattern is going gonna, is gonna to remain in the second half of the season. Because you've already got, say, say for instance, Crystal Palace. Um, Crystal Palace managed somehow to lose to Aston Villa. Now, congratulations to Aston Villa. It was going to happen at some stage. I don't know if you saw Jack Grealish's tweet on. No. Jack Grealish, uh, the exiled wonder kid. Uh, tweeted, oh, go on the lads, or, you know, something along those lines, and had a photo of the pitch from his position high up in the stands. And the responses underneath him suggested that he's still got some work to, uh, to do to repair, his, uh, to repair his image among the Villa faithful. He's never going to play for England, is he? Ah, he probably will, in fairness. You know, it's just at the moment, um, a lot of Villa fans maybe were taking somewhat jaundiced view of Jack. Uh, they think he needs to knuckle down, mm. let's say, Many in the pub, Jack, was one of the responses. Uh, and a lot of responses along that sort of, uh, you know, it's, that's football, Owen. You know, you make one or, or two mistakes and suddenly you get a, you get a name for, for something that sometimes can, can prove hard to, you know, shift. In this age of Twitter, you know, Guy Lineker is, a, is a, an example. I mean, Richard Keyes. Uh, there's, there's a number of people who have, who have entered that sort of zone. But anyway, Villa beat Palace. What was the point about this? Palace should be beating Villa all the time, but you know they, they didn't. They had bad performance. They didn't really. They barely had a shot. And I wonder if, just at some level at Crystal Palace, it's kind of well, our work for the season is done. <laughs> what a great season we have had. Let's give ourselves a, a good pat on the back. Now it could also be, you know, Alan Pardew's had a great time at Palace so far. And actually, if you look at Alan Pardew's career, everywhere he's been, he started really well and then hasn't ended well. Over time, things kind the, of the Jose Mourinho apart. effect. A little bit like Jose Mourinho, but with no uh, you know, Champions Leagues. No, but the equivalent of the Champions League would be for Crystal Palace to... I don't know, what would the equivalent of the Champions League... Tenth place is also a trophy. Yeah. And it's basically what I want to say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose the equivalent of Porto winning the Champions League would be Crystal Palace qualifying for the Champions yes. League. Yes, yeah, I, um, I mean, first, Porto winning the Champions League is more difficult than that, qualifying for the Champions League in this Premier League. But it's it's kind of beyond Alan Pardew's control to an extent. I mean, he can. It's 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 sort of beyond. I think one man's ability to. You, you need the players to. to be kind of doing it as well. You can't, you can't. It's not just up to the manager to galvanize everybody to, yeah, come on, you can just keep up their level of motivation. If you've already kind of, you're obviously not going to get relegated. You've had a good season. Everyone, you know, there's quite a few players in the team might be, might be up for moves, you know, somewhere else. And 
I wonder if there's going to be a, bit, a little bit of a slackening off from some of those teams who have been so competitive in the first half of the season. That may be the uh, bigger teams, the so-called bigger teams, are going to be able to put together more strings of wins in the second half of the season because teams like Palace are, so, are suddenly not quite... You know, I mean, I say that, and then West Ham are kind of above Manchester United at the moment. You know, there's a few of those uh, kind of situations. But where are we? Um, just on the Liverpool-Arsenal match, uh, and we will talk to Richie about it as, as well, um, there was kind of an exchange between Klopp and Wenger, where Wenger apparently um, just protectively warned Jurgen Klopp, you better stop abusing the fourth official, Jurgen, because you're going to get sent off. Oh, is that what happened? This, was this the one picked up on camera? You see them talking to each other, thinking, oh, are these guys about to have a bust up? Yeah. Klopp looks like he's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, but you can see that Wenger was smiling and, and was probably going to be... Wenger's not, a, not averse to the odd touchline row himself. No, no. Wenger would take a swing. Like, he'd take a swing, you know? <laughs> he'd, <laughs> he'd, 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 he'd definitely shove uh, a rival manager, yes, that's certainly Pardew and Mourinho, he's had goes above them anyway. Klopp's a lot bigger, though, than, well, certainly than Mourinho. Yeah, but he, he couldn't hit Arsene Wenger, you know? Wenger's kind of got a free pass, hasn't he? I mean, he's, what, 66? You don't, like, put, you don't push a pensioner. No. I mean, like Jurgen Klopp can't really go around pushing pensioners. What if the pensioners pushed him? Can he at least push no, him? No, you see, you can't. You can't. You can't, you can't do you it. You can't go around. What a sight that would be. Wenger just repeatedly pushing Klopp. Klopp <laughs> having to stand there and take it. <laughs> well, Klopp, uh, this, is a, this is a recurring pattern now with Klopp. He abuses the fourth official in every game. Continually. It's like quite an unpleasant habit that he has. His only rival in this department is probably... Jose Mourinho, or rather Jose Mourinho's charming assistant, Rui Faria, whose entire job is just to abuse the fourth official, you know, just continually. You remember that Remember that famous footage of Sam Allardyce when he was the Newcastle manager? And um, and he's just there chewing gum on the sideline. And you can see in the background this Newcastle fan getting up and like shouting there and put like jabbing his finger and shouting abuse down at Allardyce. Mm. You know, you can you know the, the kind of stuff that a, an angry fan shouts at a manager who he hates. Uh, Sam Allardyce's wife actually described it as evil in the book. It was evil. Uh, she, although she be, be developed a morbid fascination with all of the um, all of the slagging off that Sam Allardyce got from the fans. So she was always going on Knees Up Mother Brown, the West Ham website, and like looking at all the trolling comments about right. Big Fat Sam. And getting really upset. And then Sam was like, no, like, there's actually just a few kind of, like, if you look, the names are, are, you can see the recurring names. There's just a few lads there who, who have a bee in their bonnet about me, uh, who are chirping up on that uh, website. And she's like, oh, you know, I thought it was millions of people. <laughs> I thought it was like hundreds of thousands of people commenting. Nah, it couldn't be any more than 30 or 40,000 you know, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was really far is a bit like that Newcastle fan. That's basically his job. And Sam Allardyce is the, the fourth official is Sam Allardyce. And that's that's the way it is for all those games. But Jurgen Klopp, not far off. It's a continual, it's a continuous thing. He obviously that thinks... That was he, another mention of Sam Allardyce's book there. But oh, I was going to let it slide, yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, fair enough. Sam Allardyce, 4-2, you know, Sunderland beat. I, I think it was an entirely offside hat-trick by Jermaine Defoe. I think every goal in it was actually an offside. Sam Allardyce's book has now been mentioned even more than the Irish Times Second Captain Sports Annual, Volume 1. You've actually plugged Sam Allardyce's book more than we've plugged it. I haven't plugged it. I'm just mining it. <laughs> I'm delving into it uh, for for insight. Um, I can't really think of much else from it that I'm going to mention today. But I, I'm, I'm sure we heard it from it again. But where were we? Spurs, Leicester? Not not just yet. Uh, no. Klopp also saying about Firmino. He doesn't know how good he is. If you're good, you have to show it. 
Uh, this is uh, Firmino, who has barely had four or five good games since joining Liverpool, yeah. finally showing that he mightn't have been a complete uh, waste of time. Uh, also defended Mignolet, the goalkeeper, who Liverpool have managed to concede goals almost directly from corners in consecutive matches. Um, different goalkeepers, though. Bogdan was dropped entirely from the squad after letting in their goal against Exeter. But Mignolet has been defended by Klopp. Uh, on the second goal, on a perfect day, he can make a save. <laughs> Uh, but there were a lot of mistakes before. We have to defend this better as a team. Yeah, there is a difference between letting it directly in and letting a ball that's been diverted in. I mean, Giroud did change the direction of it. Change the direction away from the goal. Yeah, but also away from where the goalkeeper was diving. I actually thought that was quite tricky. I'm normally quite hard on goalkeepers. I think they, they often get overpraised, mm. I find, but uh, for a fairly routine saves. But in this case, I thought that was quite tricky. He was so close, to, Giroud was so close to the keeper that any change of direction there is going to affect what Mignolet's doing and Mignolet doesn't really have time to readjust his feet mm. so I'm going to defend well you, you've, you're obviously there's some people that Liverpool are agree with you on because they're talking about giving him a five year contract he has kept more clean sheets than anyone else in 2015 in the Premier League they say so. you don't have to be crazy to, oh never mind oh. <laughs> so Tottenham lost at home to Leicester that's a uh, I mean a surprising result in the sense that Spurs have, you know, lost so few games and have been looking strong, but not surprising in the sense that Leicester are both out on the table and have been having an amazing season. They Leicester did this with um, 60% pass completion, which is a very low number, but this has been their thing all season. They have the lowest pass completion in the Premier League and are, you know, joint top of the league. Um, I saw an interesting thing about this recently uh, related to Mick McCarthy. Um Mick McCarthy, obviously the Ipswich manager, and uh, he was being questioned by some reporters recently about their miserable uh, possession and uh, pass completion statistics. Uh, for instance, they played Portsmouth in the Cup and drew 2-2. Remember the game? We talked about it. Mm -hmm. It was the game where they each were shyly responding to each other's advances. Um, first, Portsmouth would score, and then Ipswich would fall suit, and then the other way around. Uh, Portsmouth had 74% of possession in the first half. 74 is a look that's really huge. a lot, right? You mean, that's, that, <laughs> Barcelona would be delighted with 74% possession in the game. Bar Barcelona are like 69% playing against the college boy teams in the Spanish <laughs> League. So Portsmouth, 74 against uh, against Ipswich. Um, uh, so they put this to McCarthy. He said, well, where are we in the league? And the reporter's like, sixth. And McCarthy says... Uh, I can bring you, and I'm not going to, but I could, a list of games that we won where we've had less possession. If we had 400 passes, I guarantee you we'd get beat. I don't give a flying about possession. Mm -hmm. I really don't, because we play against teams who have had 400-plus passes. We've had 220. And you know who's had 150 of those passes from their team? The two centre-backs and centre midfield midfield player between each other. They're going nowhere. If their two centre-backs have had 75 touches each, am I bothered? No, because our centre-forward has had about 50, and he scored two goals. Don't bring me stats. What's the phrase? There are lies, damn lies, and statistics. That's just what they are. So this is... Uh, get get all the people in here who want to analyse stats. I'm not bothered. Portsmouth murdered us with the ball on Sunday. Did we lose? Saturday. Did we lose? No. You can write all you like about stats. I don't give a monkeys. The stats I like are the ones that show we're in sixth position. We've just won five on the bounce away from home. And we've been unbeaten for a while. Okay, so fair enough. That's his view. But there was an interesting thing uh, written about him. Um, and this was on 
uh, one of the Ipswich blogs, that, and this is actually from a couple of months ago, and I only saw this the other day, but it's very interesting, about called Mick McCarthy's Magic Method, right? Mm-hmm. And it shows this like bizarre pattern with Mick McCarthy, where his team, uh, over the last three seasons, continually, and so we're talking about Ipswich, has, has the worst pass completion rate in the league. I'm sorry if you're bored talking about pass completion rate. I know you might be like Mick McCarthy. I don't give a monkey's about this. But it is. It's I don't give a flying about this. I don't give a flying. In this, this case, I do. A flying monkey. I don't give a flying mm. monkey about this. Um, they consistently are bottom of the table for this. So si- they complete 62% of their passes. Like 62. You know, like two out of every five passes nearly are misplaced or go to the opposition. Not great. I mean, what? You know, unless you're trying, I don't know if you're trying Hollywood passes every, every third, every but every three passes. That, so so this season they're bottom sixty two, at bottom of twenty four teams, like the worst. The top is like Derby eighty percent pass completion. You know, Jeff Hendricks silky skills. I don't know how much Jeff Hendrick has been actually playing for them this season. Mm-hmm. Ipswich uh, also last season bottom. Uh, then the season before twenty thirteen fourteen second bottom, uh, ahead only of Yeovil who got relegated, right. But the weird thing is that Mick McCarthy, Mick McCarthy's teams are constantly like this and yet have high possession. So it's like the other team can't pass the ball either when they play against the Mick McCarthy team. They can't do it. Like it's whatever way he's setting the team up manages to stop the other team being able to complete passes as well. So it's, the, it's like nobody can complete a pass, <laughs> but somehow it's working. Um, and he's a blight on the game. No, he's not. Basically, a, what you're saying. He's not a blight on the game. He just—it's like to do, he's he's able to counteract what the other team are doing pretty well. I mean, his own team is not necessarily passing the ball with great accuracy themselves. But that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be effective. I mean, as we said, Leicester are having a great season. They've got the lowest rate in the Premier League of like it's around well sixty something percent. Now, he this this uh, blog which I found pretty good also put up a list of all the teams in the Premier League that have had like the lowest pass completion and uh, you know of the last uh, how many what, 24 teams the 24 teams in the in the Premier League with the lowest pass completion Mick McCarthy appears a few times the interesting thing about it is that every single manager of these teams is a British manager right well Mick McCarthy is considered a British manager for these purposes Tony Pulis unsurprisingly is right there right down the bottom uh, Stoke 2009, 62. Stoke 2010, 63. You know, Gary Mason, Sam Allardyce, Steve Bruce, Owen Coyle, Phil Brown, Alec McLeish, Mick McCarthy. These are the names dominating the low pass completion. Um, but somehow or other, Mick McCarthy is able to do this while keep, while getting quite low of the ball. I don't know. Is this the most boring segment? Of the uh, year, not or this, was, not... Is it as boring as last Monday's FA Cup roundup? No. No, no. Okay. no, no, this is this is interesting. Sorry, more I'm, so, I'm still defending. Uh, I defend my right to defend the segment on Monday, but we. I digress. Uh, if you're not able to pass the ball accurately more than three times in five, you should not have much possession in the game because you're constantly giving it back to the other team. But Mick McCarthy constantly manages to get 50% possession because the other team are giving it back to his team. Where are we moving to next? So... <laughs> Uh, the next up, it's just, just you know, there were a lot of amazing matches last night. Oh, there were, yeah, there this were. Days thought we might be talking. Yeah, about here we are talking about Ipswich, Ipswich Portsmouth. Well, we were, ta- we, we were talking about Leicester, really, um, because Leicester are, are okay. Leicester don't have the possession, but they're you know they're succeeding despite not really passing the ball to each other much. They just pass it to a guy who kicks it into the net. <laughs> That's their simple <laughs> method. Okay, so Man United against Newcastle. That was another um, another one of these three all uh, last minute equaliser thrillers. 
uh, that we saw over the last couple of days. Um, and a lot of praise for Manchester United for this performance, which I thought was a bad performance. We, we'll talk to Richie about this in a bit more detail. But, you know, you, you know, a great attacking performance, Wayne Rooney, man of the match, and all this kind of stuff. What you're saying is Paul Scholes was impressed. Well, Paul Scholes, you know, I think... I mean, maybe... It could be... If, if Paul Scholes' attitude is simply, look, this is the entertainment business. Oh, all we want to see is ghouls. Then... You know, and, and exciting matches and teams kind of having a go and, you know, stuff happening. And that is, to be fair, what most people just want out of out of football. In that case, this was, this was a good match and, you know, a good Man United performance. And it wasn't like really, oh, risk averse and sort of controlling. I mean, they couldn't get any control of the games. That's why they didn't control it. They couldn't control it. They were trying, but couldn't. Um, and and if, that, if that was his attitude, then fine, it's... it's it's a good performance. It's, it's, this is, the team is delivering what everybody wants. But I don't think that really is his attitude. Paul Scholes is what, 11, 12 Premier League medals? No, he believes that the best way to win matches and to win titles is to play the way he describes. As far as I know, it's a, I don't think he is just out for entertainment. In fairness, I think he, he firmly does seem to have this conviction that the way Van Hal has been doing it is just wrong. It's, it's, it's absolutely wrong. There's not enough risk in what Van Hal is doing. Yeah. I imagine Skulls are thinking it's too, it's too mechanical, it's too sort of predictable in a way, um, and it's too constraining of the players. But this this game, I didn't think was was a good performance by Man United at all. I mean, they're up against a weak team. You know, a great attacking performance. They had 12 shots. Newcastle, uh, on an average day, have 16 shots against them. You know, so it's actually below, you know, it's, it's one of Newcastle's better performances, you know, in terms of restricting the opposition. You know, Newcastle have been weak all season. You know, they're brittle. They're, they're, they've been smashed to pieces by several opponents. They had also, in an attacking sense, had scored less than a goal a game, Newcastle, up until this one. So Manchester United conceded three to a team who had scored less than an average of one per match. That's fairly damning. Now, uh, there were a couple of good performances by um, Newcastle players, particularly Vinaldum, who I thought was interesting. Um, uh, he, it turns out, uh, I don't know how technically good he really is, but he is phenomenally um, phenomenally strong. I was amazed. He's, he's like 5'9". He looks so much bigger. And it's because, he's, it's because nobody can beat him in like a, a sort of shoulder-to-shoulder type of situation, you know, he's, he's, he's got this amazing strength. It turns out that he, football, he only turned, it came to very late in his life. You know, at the age of about 12, he started playing it. What was he doing before then? Gymnastics. Right. Gymnastics, he, he basically was, uh, wanted to be a kind of gymnast or acrobat. And I think you can really see that in his style of play. His, you know, I can imagine Van Alden being pretty good on, you know, the rings. Uh, the rings are apparently pretty good, pretty good exercise if you want to, like, build up your upper body and core strength I would say he would be better at that than most Premier League players yeah it's interesting because I who was it that I said was it might have been Brian Kerr somebody on TV3 recently was talking about no Graeme Souness was talking about um, Depay uh, Memphis Depay and mm. he was speaking in, in well he was making a similar point albeit with the opposite conclusion that players now uh, some players in particular Depay are too big they've, they've too big an upper body he said he was at a game on the sideline looking at this guy going Great physique, really impressive. Be mm. brilliant for a boxer, yeah. but not much use for a footballer. Yeah, well, Depay is... I mean, there's, there's there's different types of strength, I suppose. I mean, the player who Vinaldum was reminding me of in some of those... Uh, the kind of physical contests was Luis Suarez, who, again, you know, wasn't, wasn't like a huge guy, but 
phenomenally strong kind of through the tr- like through the torso and remember uh, he used to be able to you know one of the things that, that he was very good at in particular in Premier League was chasing these long balls against the defender and shouldering yeah, the defender yeah, out of the way yeah. um Vinaldum kind of has that you know that's the kind of a different type of strength maybe from the I don't know the buff stuff physique I don't know how Depay got that way maybe he was lifting a lot of weights I don't know if he was doing ring exercises this should be the thing maybe for football players just get out there on the on the rings just uh, hold yourself up you know it maybe doesn't seem like it's doing much good but actually that's where you're wrong that's it for today's report on sport City dug at his open mother will you're a wee your bags in your desk boom your bags in your desk boom I mean it I'm fucking raging speak from my heart who would I want in I've got big Terry Butcher in Mr Tate how you doing not too good after tonight you got the job on a technicality of a legend who recommended you no you have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Richie has arrived. How are you, Richie? Owen, how are you doing? You well? I'm doing well. It's a special day, I understand. It is a special day. I am 37 years old today. Ah. It's gone pretty sweet so far. Myself and Ken just went over for a coffee across the road before we came in here, and the lady handed us four free mince pies. Did you know it was your birthday? No. no I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, I announced it, obviously, when I went into the shop. I've been in there many times yeah. and never been given anything free. No. No. First time I go in there at Richie for <laughs> mince pies. You've got the uh, I don't know what I don't know what you've got, Richie, but uh, congratulations. Well, Both on your birthday pies. Four That's what I've pies. got. Exactly. Uh, incredible midweek uh, action in the Premier League. I don't know why I'm talking like uh, an ad for it. Yeah. But uh, not the, not the least of the stories is that uh, it was pretty good for the Irish players. John Walter scores. James McLean scores. Shane Long scores. Harry Arter, who you know could be a. Uh, could be a runner for the Euros. He scored, and uh, Rob Elliott, you could throw in, maybe making some good saves against Manchester United. Is this the beginning of the takeover of the Premier League by Irish internationals? Absolutely. I see no reason why it wouldn't be that at all. Um, yeah, no, really good night, obviously, and, 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 and to get the goals, but I assume we'll be doing this a lot in the next few months. Anything they do, Focusing on all the at players, all. Yeah. Well, we did flag up James McLean in our New Year's yeah. Eve chat because uh, around that time, what had he done? What was it? Oh, yeah, he'd gotten sent off for a wild tackle. Mm. Uh, and I had put it to you that McLean is a sparky guy but could end up being a bit of a liability if he can't keep his emotions in check come the Euro, uh, come Euro 2016. You were quite struck by his post-match interview and match of the day last night? I did. Well, the, the, the bit I saw was when he, he said he was kind of disappointed in the behaviour of some of the Chelsea players. I think he said something along the lines of, you know, it's disappointing <laughs> to see players waving imaginary cards at a referee and it's a kind of a sign of disrespect. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a bit of a bugbear about all that. I, I don't know what people's objections are around that whole area. Uh, you don't feel that that's totally... No, no, I think people can kind of get fairly worked it's up. It's a weaselly thing to do. It's like, oh, stop weaseling at the referee. It wasn't even a yellow card. What are you trying to get me sent off for? Why so can't we just play the game? You'd like the rugby approach where no one communicates with the referee that the referee should be applying the laws of the game. Well, no, not necessarily, but it is, it's, it is, um, it's irritating. I mean, remember Wayne Rooney in the World Cup, you know, that pushing Ronaldo, what are you doing? <laughs> it was one of the funniest moments of the 2006 World Cup. Wayne Rooney's, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And Ronaldo kind of going, well, look, that's the game. If we're in a game, Ken, right, and yeah. you're, 
and I'm I I've left a couple I knew whether it's an elbow or uh, I've kicked you like surely at some point would you would you instinctively not tell the referees to listen ref any chance what what are you doing here you, you're seeing what I'm seeing you're giving free kicks why not yellows do you not know the laws you'd communicate that in your own way but surely somewhere you would you would say that to the ref would you not I definitely would I definitely would okay now do There's you no not doubt about that well, well why would it be inappropriate for others to do it because I mean I I don't have that the the tough mentality of a of a true competitive sportsman. I am a weasel. And I, I would definitely complain to the referee and try to get my opponent sent off. But I could understand my opponent being annoyed with that. Go on, you were going to say something? I was going to just jump in and say, is there a difference between a player, say a striker, who, as you say, might be getting buffeted around the place by the centre half the entire game. Eventually, he's fed up and he says, ref, come on, give this guy a yellow card. Just ha- have a look at this and give him a yellow card. Is there a difference between that and I think what James McLean is talking about, which is a bunch of players at any given opportunity surrounding the ref and trying to intimidate him. Not players who personally have been affected by fouls during the game, just lads looking to, um, I don't know if cheat is too strong a to word. Seek but to seek an advantage. Seek an advantage, yeah. But it's, it, it, again, it's a, and, and this always comes up in, in, in around diving or you know, claiming a throw-in when you know it's not or claiming a corner kick when you know it's a goal kick. All of those things. Like, where's the line? Where, where do you draw the acceptable line to what you would expect from a player in a team you support to do what's necessary to win. Um, the, the whole thing with card waving, I think some people I've spoken to before are okay with them, with players verbally saying to the referee, book them, but they're appalled when they see the sign. <laughs> yeah, and and then that, that falls. That I just think, well, hang on, none of that makes sense. Then what, what's, what's that point about? Yeah, well, th- that, none of that makes any sense because basically all it is is a language thing then. You know, if Diego Costa doesn't have the language skills to talk to a referee and say... Here, listen. I've I've been done here a couple of times. It's it's the exact same message that he's he's uh, getting across, regardless of whether he's saying it or gesturing. Yeah, then you're you're in the territory. Well, it's not what you said; it's how you said it. Like you you, you, you didn't say <laughs> verbally. Very rocky you, right you, you 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 demonstrated with your hand. But it's I I don't think there's anything wrong with players asking, telling, suggesting to the referee that he should he could do his job better or or apply the laws of the game. The reason the certain fouls or certain things you do in a pitch should result in a yellow card obviously it's for the protection of a player and if a player's repeatedly fouled and the referee isn't handing out cards well then you're handing an advantage to that opponent who's repeatedly fouling so I don't feel at all in any way that I, I'm at risk of disrespecting that opponent by turning to the referee and said what, what this will I need to do to get a booking hmm. Ken what's your theory as to why the football is so entertaining this week? I wonder if maybe it has to do with the way imagine you know the grand national when all the when the horses are all going over the fences and like falling in huge heaps of you know twisted heaps of man horse flesh mm-hmm. imagine they were made to get up and continue the race that's maybe what's going on here <laughs> you know like the those um uh those sort of uh battles of the early season you know everybody is like full of energy and highly organized and you know watchful and and uh, defensively well set up have kind of degenerated into this free-for-all and you know as the players are kind of becoming more and more exhausted and it's actually way better to watch it's just way better to watch this ragged kind of football where anything can happen and players are making mistakes and silly things are happening all over the pitch that's actually what this is meant to be like 
<laughs> that's before people like Pep Guardiola came along and ruined it for everyone by imposing, you know, superior uh, team organization and, you know, oh, you've got to stay out in the wing, you know, because that stretches. No, you know, I, I kind of, there's a big, big part of me own, maybe at 85% of me prefers to see this kind of chaos type football where anything can happen. Richie? Do you agree on the theory that the player, that everyone was just exhausted and therefore uh, this is the kind of football that results? In which case, why not play more games around Christmas? Oh, yeah, you, you th- do you think it's down to reduce levels of energy and fitness? And I think maybe, yeah. Concentration think, levels, maybe? I think there's just a sort of, uh, um, I don't know if shell shock is really the word. That's a bit over-dramatizing it. It is only just, just playing games of football. like But... <laughs> you know, a kind of uh, like the the demands on them are are pretty big. There's been so many so many games that like I think there's a bit of the organization starts to kind of fray at the edges, you know, um, from the sort of earlier part of the season, and uh, maybe you start to see better. I mean, this, this is just one idea. I mean, you you don't need to be you don't need to have to be that far below your kind of maximum to be quite dramatically different you know I'm, I'm, I mean like 96 or 97 percent of your capacity to for the whole game to be totally different um I don't know if this is makes any sense at all it's been great to watch though and yeah. I mean, if you listen to every club they're, they're all or how we talk about every club near the top you know they'll never get a better year Arsenal won't Tottenham won't Leicester certainly won't and so um there's a lot of teams out there full of hope so it's been it's been really good to watch and, and impossible to predict. But say with Manchester United to to pick the most obvious example this week, they were play, they just looked like a different team. They looked like they were playing a totally different type of football. And up in the net, I haven't actually put it down to what you talked about there, but maybe that is something to do with it that they were that they weren't and they weren't defending as well as they should have been. But they were also playing suddenly with this verve and this attack. Maybe that's because they were playing against Newcastle, one of the worst teams in the league. And I do want to put it to you that it seems to me a lot of Manchester United fans seem happier with this three-all draw against a useless team than they have been with a lot of the 1-0 wins that they've squeaked uh, against superior opposition. Well, I don't think they should be happy with that because I thought they were terrible. I thought it was a terrible performance. But it was a Manchester United way, Ken. They, sure, they only drew, but they drew in the Manchester United way. I don't remember Manchester United going to Newcastle and, and having ridiculous a ridiculous three-all draw. I mean... Well, they got so hammered that time. Of they've the, been beaten 5 0 yeah. and 4 3, and they're beaten 3 0 a couple of years back, wasn't it? Uh, but they, you, you, you do know the argument. There was, a, there, was a, there was a different feel around, around the match. Now, well, what what now, happened now, in the match, though? I mean, what happened in the match yeah. is that Man United got a penalty quite early in the match. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly Newcastle were in this situation of trying to. I mean, every time the ball was coming forward, Wayne Rooney was kind of hanging around a little bit left of centre in the Newcastle half. Who else was in the Newcastle half with him? There was two other people. There was Rob Elliott, the goalkeeper, and Colaccini. Literally, Colaccini standing there. And for some reason, <clears throat> Steve McLaren thought... Steve McLaren, his setup was was kind of insulting to Wayne Rooney in, in, a, in a way, because he obviously thought, I don't need both central defenders to handle Wayne Rooney. Colaccini can do it. And... That you know, that's it, it was just one on one again and again, and Rooney had Rooney was throwing him three times. The first one he put wide. That was the, I think that was the first one. And the second one was the one where he set up Lingard, which was a great piece of play. The third one was in the second half, where he tried to take Colchini on, and Colchini got the ball off him. But you know, <laughs> what in the vast majority of games Man United are playing, they don't have that. They don't have that situation. They've got 
uh, most of the other team in their own third defending. Man United usually have the ball. That was I don't know how many other games they've played this season where the opponent has had most of the ball. But Newcastle had dominated possession that game, which is really rare for Man United. So it was a it was an unusual game for them. They had the opportunity to play against the team where the there was almost nobody in that team's half. They were the ones who were being pinned back, and it suited them. I think you know. I, I can see that the the thinking behind why a United fan might get encouraged by a game like that because they might kind of delude themselves in a little way to think, well, maybe Van Hal is now seeing things the way we do. Maybe scoring three goals was was as a direct result of new instructions and a change of heart that Van Hal has come up with based on all the flack and he's listening to talk about mm. the tradition of the clubs and what's expected of United players. But I can't imagine after the game. I mean, I saw Van Hal's comments and he said something like. The game is about scoring one more than the opponent. Like he doesn't care about the number of yeah, goals. Yeah, you know he was annoyed. I'm not exactly. saying that. Exactly. And so was Rooney. He was yeah. pretty pretty pissed so off. So if as well, I if I was a fan and I was thinking, well, maybe is this a sign of things to come? So well, no, because the manager came out afterwards and and it was very clear that he wasn't impressed with what he saw. I don't believe at all pre-match did he change his instructions to what his approach has been over the last number of months. If you're leading two 0 and three two and you've scored three goals and you still don't win. That is sickening, you know. For that, that's a that's a sickening result. This is a this is a disaster. And it's against Newcastle. And it's against it's against Newcastle. Absolutely. But you're Newcastle, showing hints. Eighteenth in the league. Yeah. If you're looking at the rest of the season, you're showing hints that your most your best attacking player is back to form. For example, I don't, I don't know. Was he was he that much back to form? He scored a penalty. He scored a nice goal. Scored, a, scored a, a penalty. Simple, scored a screamer. A simple, and, a simple enough goal. To be fair, the the I mean the ball set up was set very nicely for him. And he struck it. There was nobody near him. And he and struck, he struck it nicely. with amazing power and amazing accuracy into the top corner from outside the box. Yeah, but that, you know, come on. I, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the one where he's through one-on-one against Colaccini and just run into, runs into him. Yeah. And I think that... So instead of playing he, a major part in four goals, he just played a major part in three goals in the game. Um, well, he, he scored a penalty. He, the, this, the assist for Lingard was, was very nice piece of play. I mean, to just to know Lingard was there was, was excellent. But... You know, I mean, there was there was there was two big missed chances as well. I mean, I think Andy, I think uh, Marcel scores that chance if he if if he's the one rather than Rooney, he gets that one on one against Colchini. Maybe both of them he would score. Wayne Rooney is supposed to be one of the best strikers in the world. I mean, that's what his salary says, but he's not. He's not anymore. You know, and this is the, this. I'd agree, I'd agree that by and large, but based on the evidence of last night, I, I think he's. I think it's a shot across the bows for people or it's a reminder that he does still have a lot to offer and I think, I think as well it's more that many other fans have seen him play so badly yeah. this That's year. What I, like, I think terribly the, the, like, like a complete non-entity in games like mm. walking around the place looking old looking washed up like whatever about whether this means he's one of the top strikers in the world I think man, a lot of many other fans are just happy to see him looking like a footballer again mm-hmm. yeah the yeah. bar is set quite low this season and I did, they were full of praise for him on match of the day weren't they uh, they certainly were on BT Sport. She's Robbie Savage wouldn't stop. Uh, Robbie Savage's central argument was, see, this is what I've been saying. Wayne Rooney's too easy a target. He's yeah. just too, everyone always has a goal Wayne Rooney. Look how amazing he was, which to me was a strange argument from Savage because it, he seemed to be making the point that all the previous criticism was not legitimate based on the fact that in this game he's playing well. Yeah. I thought that was Robbie Savage. Odd. Robbie Savage was also saying it wasn't a penalty. So was Alan Shearer. Based, well, that was just unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, why, how could he maintain that? I mean, I suppose at least Alan Shearer is a Newcastle fan. Alan Shearer at the time was saying, he was, he was working, I think, for BBC Radio at the game. 
uh, he was he was definitely at the game in the press box. And I think at the time he must have said, that's not a penalty. <laughs> and then now he's being forced to defend his own position. He, he feels he would be more foolish to admit that he was wrong uh, rather than to just defend in defensible why, position. Do you think that's why Gary Lineker threw in the wank joke? Just to defuse any sort of... Uh, Attention! It was uh, amazing the response. Gary Lineker says, "Listen, I'm going to take. I'm going to like Jose Mourinho at his best. I'm going to yeah. take the attention, put it on me, me. Alan, because you're making such a ridiculous argument. So I am going to make a wank joke. I think we've all tried that, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone loves that. But you know, I mean, the, Paul Scholes was saying this is much better. This wasn't better. This was terrible. I mean, how could they? How, how can you look at a game where you're two 0 up and three two up and don't win as anything other than a disaster? <laughs> and you know, to be outplayed by Newcastle, to be you know destroyed by Wijnaldum and and Sissoko. Where was Man United's midfield? You know, this control that Van Hal is always talking about. Where was it? No, okay, I, I, there was no Carrick, there was no Schweinsteiger, both neither of them available for the game, and maybe the inclusion of one or other of those players would have made a difference. You wouldn't have had Fellaini, but you know. I just think the, the Schneiderlin, Herrera, these kind of players should have given Manchester United more control of the ball in midfield. They had none. You know, I mean, there was no... There was, Wijnaldum was just was dominating everybody. Uh, Teode, who, you know, Teode wouldn't be the silkiest no. player on the ball. You know what I mean? But he was running that game. He had more touches than anyone in the game because nobody went near him when he had the ball. He had enough time to pick his passes. He was, he was kind of like, oh, you know, I've got the ball. Who am I going to pass the ball to... Oh, I'm not sure. I'll survey my options. And he was given loads of time to do that. Where, where was Herrera? Meanwhile, whenever Fellaini got the ball, Newcastle were all over him. Absolutely all over him. You know, like rats swarming around him. It, and, and, you know, he, he ends up giving the ball away a lot. But, you know, one team is trying to make it difficult for the other team. The other team is letting, letting you know, the opponent play. We have made the point that Van Gaal wasn't happy. He seemed pretty disgusted in the post-match interviews and went on to have a bit of an altercation with a couple of journalists. He did. At the press conference, which I'm sure people are aware of at this point. Richie, what did you make of that? Should he be staying away from that kind of stuff? What's he doing? Like, like he, he's not, a, like, obviously, he's not a young manager. He's not inexperienced. There's nothing particularly spiky about what went on in the press conference. Um, and for him to react that way, it just, I mean, it was comical. It was funny. You could hear all the laughter even before he left the, the, the area he was sitting in, um, which is probably the, the best response. Just laugh at that because it, it was, it's very difficult to understand. Well, well, the background is that he was sick of being asked about Wayne Rooney, so he decides he'll get up and leave the press conference. I wouldn't say storm out or anything. Just look, enough questions of Wayne Rooney. Uh, and by the way, you're you're one of the critics that you're referring to. He says mm. to the first journalist. So as he's walking away, a second journalist turns out it's Neil Custis who's been writing about this in the Sun today. Uh, apparently, had done an impression of Van Hal. So he starts mocking the the first journalist, a guy from uh, Stuart Madison from the Manchester Evening News. Van Hal apparently clocks Custis doing an impression of him, and then says, "You too, fat man." You also <laughs> have been criticizing Wayne Rooney. So uh, that's that's pretty you low, too, fat man. Van Hal, but it can't. It's got to be pretty annoying if you turn around and somebody's you're already annoyed about something and someone's doing an impression of you. Here, Sean Custis has has come back. Or sorry, is it Neil or Sean? Uh, I'm being uh, Neil Custis. Yes, Neil, sorry, Neil Custis. Sean, I think Sean is his brother has come back with this. Do you have his? Oh yeah. Do you want? Do you want? Yeah, it? yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah. You were right, Lewis. I am fat. Custis has written in the Sun today. I had a knee operation four months ago to stop me running and going to the gym. That has resulted in me putting on nearly two stone. But I'm trying to get it all off by having a dry January and calm February a phrase I hadn't heard up to this point, and a personal trainer, at least I can hold my hand up to my own failings. Shame others can't. I think we all agree that Louis Van Gaal is in the wrong here. 
right. he is in the wrong. Who do you think he is? Donald Trump? You can't just slag off people for their appearance. You're a loser, Custis. Yeah. That's what Donald Trump would say. What is, is, is the Sun's thing on the weekend going to be shovel-faced managerial loser Louis Van Gaal, <laughs> you know, was last night clinging to his job because, you know, Liverpool have beaten him at Anfield. You know, it's once you start doing that, that's a that's a slippery slope, especially when you're talking about when the person on the other side of the exchange is actually the Sun newspaper. Yeah. Best of luck with that. Uh, another six-goal thriller last night, Richie. Um, would you be... Furious for Arsene Wenger, giving away the late goal to, to Liverpool. This is an Arsenal team who, I know we said, this being said about quite a few teams this season, but Arsenal in particular, I would have thought this is their league to win or their league to throw away, which they seem to be intent on doing by conceding goals like that. Yeah, it, ha- it has been a team, but it's, I, I, I agree with you, this is, does seem to be as if it's their league to win. Um, I think, yeah, they should be particularly furious that the way in which they conceded it last night to be so late and to be in front and all that but it's uh, they're getting away with it like we, we, we'll sit here and we, we can go through the, the various flaws that they have and, and the, the patterns that have emerged but they're at the top of the league mm. it's been one of those seasons that doesn't matter who wins it the, the, the winner will have multiple flaws and will have demonstrated yeah. multiple flaws all season like no other year mm. Ken? Well I thought uh, I don't know they did pretty well actually Arsenal? Yeah I mean, to go, to keep, the, the way they kept coming back, you know, I mean, they, obviously, the, ultimately the game is a disappointment for Arsenal because they're winning going into the last minute, so <laughs> it's going to be disappointing. But uh, the way that it had started, they started very badly, immediately got back into it, one all conceded another goal, and then got back into it again. I mean, it was, uh, I think you have to kind of admire, the thing, the great thing about Arsenal over the last few years, or the, I don't mean the great thing, the, the thing that everybody has talked about is their you know lack of mental strength their kind of fragility the way that they just um burst into a million pieces under you know when, when under the first kind of pressure you know and especially when they went and played away games against um the other big teams that frequently they were just uh you know like a glass a wine glass that shatters into a, a million fragments when an opera singer hits a particular note that was arsenal and suddenly here they are uh, kind of trading blows and coming back. And really, they should have won the game. They were a little bit... I don't know. know. There are different ways of displaying your mental frailty. One is to immediately throw in the towel when you go a goal, goal down or you go down a second time. Another is to be 3-2 ahead with time running out with the big lad up top. Yeah, two big lads. Yeah, yeah exactly. as well. You know exactly what's going to happen. The only way Liverpool are going to score a goal is by whacking a ball in long, the player heading it, and most likely somebody coming in on the edge of the box to try to knock it in from there. You see little Joe Allen come in, and eventually you react and try to block the shot, but not before he knocks into the bottom corner. Oh, I, don't know. I think I think it's tough. It's tough to hang on in that situation. There you are. You know, Liverpool have been have been coming for this goal for 20, 25 minutes. It's like snow pouring down. Everyone's going insane. Everyone's really tired. Uh, you know, just Kalker and Benteke are lumbering around the penalty area. You can't ultimately do anything. What are you going to do? Like, if the ball is accurate enough towards Benteke, he's going to he's Oh, gonna he's going to win it, yeah. So you worry about who's coming in at the edge of the box. Mm. I couldn't believe you. If you look at well, replays, Joe jo- 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 Allen is... Jo- there's, who was it who was, look- was close? Bayreen, Bayreen, I think it was. Bayreen is looking at him for a while, and then eventually... He doesn't anticipate anything. He waits for the ball to be headed to Allen and then sort of runs to block a shot, as opposed to thinking, well, this is the only guy I have to worry about, so I don't have to take a step further forward, closer Yeah, those are the things you can do. You, know, you just said there, well, what can you do if you're, gonna, if you're up against a player who's taller or stronger than anyone who's going to win the ball? But um, there, there, there's a, a kind of an urgency or a concentration level or a, 
whatever you just you just hundred percent on on message or whatever because you've only got what a minute or two or three minutes left. Um, it, it's just a shabby thing to do. It's it's like when you're in the dressing room after a game and you've conceded in the last minute, you just look around and it's already an assumption. Even, even no matter how good the technical goal is or the how good a goal it could have been that you've just conceded, you immediately assume that it's a mental frailty as to why you conceded. Mm. I, that, and that could be completely wrong because really good goals and really well worked goals can be scored in injury time that, that you know that are very difficult to defend against. But you always assume that you've let yourself down. Richie, who do you, sorry, Ken, you got another question there? I wanted I, to ask Richie who he thinks is going to win the league. Well, I wonder. Searing journalism by me coming up, Ken. I wondered. Hold on to your hats. Well, here, here's <laughs> this. This one's almost as good. On go on. Um, is this aimed at me? Yeah, just uh, Olivier Giroud. Uh, whether you think he is, um, I mean, I think I've had this discussion with some Arsenal supporters, and it seems to be a raw subject with them. Olivier Giroud and his quality or lack of. I don't. I must say, I don't think he's. I think Arsenal could have a better centre forward than him. I'm, I, a lot of the seasons I've seen them, they've had a better centre forward than Olivier Giroud. I'm wondering if you think he is worth kind of persevering with. with, our, with our, I mean, is he, I mean, because the number of goals that he's, what has he got, 16 or 17 goals so far? 18 in total this season. I think he is. That's pretty good. I mean, are, you, are you saying it worth pursuing as in, would you sell him or look to... If you were Austin Wenger, would you be thinking, I've got to get a better centre forward than this guy this summer. I can't. This can't go on. I mean, I think that if they had a really good centre forward, they'd be ten points clear. Really? Well, I just don't think that he's. You know, I don't. I don't think he's. I mean, look, look at last night. He scored. A, he scored two goals. Superb goals, yeah. Really? Like, what, what, well, what one of them. Goal, one of them yeah. was a great goal, a, a, a terrific goal. You know, he took advantage of a, of a deflection, came his way, turned brilliantly, lashed into the corner. Uh, the other goal, he actually diverted a corner kick. Slightly away from the goal, but by so doing, managed to confuse the goalkeeper enough to who knocked it into the net. There was also an open goal, if yeah, you recall. That's difficult to defend. There was an open goal. <laughs> the ball came across. And he's there. Away from the microphones. He's yeah. there. He's yeah. under the bar. Yeah, no, yeah. Keep going, Kenya. <laughs> now, I mean, I think if that goal goes in, maybe we've got a different outcome in the game. So it's like it's as though a oh, brilliant performance by uh, Olivier Giroud. You know what quality? And I'm, th- I'm just thinking. No, you know I've seen I've seen better performances than that. I've seen I think that I think that could have been a better performance. You're a tough man to put a couple of two goal salvos for some of the Premier League's top strikers. Still not enough to please. They're the two. They're the two players I'm, I'm criticizing most. You're about to ask about who's going to win the Premier. Yeah, League. I was going to wrap up with that because we've got a strange situation where Leicester, <laughs> having beaten Spurs by the way away from home, it's yeah. just a brief mention of that, are still joint top of the league with Arsenal. Uh, with Man they have, City they, so that means Leicester points. have only lost Leicester have lost the fewest games of anyone yeah, in the league two games uh, so uh, Man City obviously three points back uh, I'm assuming we're writing off Spurs now at this stage with that defeat are you right can I ask are you, are you no. both writing off Leicester City yeah you are yeah I just don't think they can keep it up based on well they just went through a spell there of what three matches in a row where they didn't score I don't see that happening to Arsenal. No, no, but their defence has been, they haven't conceded in some ridiculous amount of minutes now at this stage, I can't remember what it is in the Premier League. So Maybe they maybe they can, I don't know. I, just, I don't think they Do you think I'd, they can? Are they contenders? Maybe it's, it's just because I'd like, like to think that they can. Um, I would like w- to think that they can yeah, as but well. What, like, at, at what point? Like you, you get into October, November, December, we're, we're in January now, they're, they're you know, goal difference off top or whatever they are. Like At what point do you, do you kind of 
do we do we stop saying do you know this is a gutsy run by a spirited bunch who are going to run out of steam? <laughs> that's that 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 might not be how people are phrasing it, but that's always the the feeling I get when people talk about it. It's kind of patronising. Like God, wouldn't it be great if oh, they? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if they finished top four? Like, I think, why not? Why not? Well, you compare it to um, compare it to a couple of seasons ago when Liverpool were unexpectedly challenging for the title. Mm. I think people only kind of thought they might actually win the title when they beat Manchester City. Remember they beat Manchester City? That was yeah. th- that was only five games maybe from the end. And they beat Man City and that was the Steven Gerrard, you know, this doesn't slip. And uh, obviously from there, there was still plenty of time left uh, for things to go wrong. Yeah. Um, and they were a team that had, you know, Sturridge and Suarez. You know, I mean, Vardy's had a good season, Mars had a good season, but you know. I don't think they're quite on the same level. Well, they're not in terms of their caliber, uh, their proven track record, but but their performances they and, and their goals and the, 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 what they're producing for their teams and Lesser, where their teams are in the league. Yeah, Leicester are a lot better at defending than that. Liverpool yeah, there's a, like the, I know you can you, you, you can pick a three-game spell and say, well, they haven't scored and you might not imagine the other teams with the better strikers would go through that, but there's other qualities there and you know they are where they are. Go for it then. You might as well predict. You're nobody who's going to hold you this if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, you're going to sound like a hero. Leicester to win the league. Oh, well, if you big it up like that. Absolutely nailed on. (laughs) Leicester City, Premier League champions. Richie, happy birthday. Enjoy the rest of it. Cheers, lads. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Say, I'm still in shock about the Gary Lineker gag, by the way. I'd only just recovered from Ricky Gervais' performance at the Golden Globes, and then I was hit with Gary Lineker on Match of the Day on BBC, BBC One, no less, making this sort of smutty remark. What do you make of Gervais? He's taking some, Ricky Gervais taking some stick for his off colour remarks about everybody in Mel Gibson, Roman Polanski, Caitlyn Jenner. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I enjoyed pretty much all of it, actually. Thought he was good. He did make a point during his own monologue. Four times they've asked me to present this. So, uh, yeah, I think NBC know what they're getting. Yeah. And presumably the people there know what they're... Maybe sometimes they look... The, especially the stars who are there have to pretend they don't find something funny when when maybe they do. Well, and they also depends did t- on the proximity of that person to the person that Ricky <laughs> yeah. Gervais is slagging off at that exact moment. Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting across the table from the person that he's slagging off, I think it's probably just good manners. Yeah, good manners. Not to... <laughs> Not to, uh, you know, guffawed loudly in that person's well, face. Well, he made a joke about Ben, ben Affleck as he was introducing <laughs> Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> it looked to me as though so the gag was, uh, and now the one person who Ben Affleck has remained uh, faithful to, but the, only, but the only person he's remained faithful to, something like that. Hasn't been unfaithful. Hasn't been unfaithful to Matt Damon. And then, so Matt Damon has no time to really uh, import this joke into his brain and react mm. properly. You can see him wrestling with a bit of laughter and stifling laughter after this gag. I presume they're still friends. I don't know, himself and, and Ben Affleck. No one's, no one's ever going to come between those two guys. But he wisely uh, just trucked on with his introduction of the next award. Sorry, Ken, you're about to come back. Yeah. yeah. They, for some reason, The Martian was being considered a comedy um, in it. I think uh, Ridley Scott said at the end, 
don't know why this is like as he was accepting the award for best comedy or musical. <laughs> and I really don't understand why this is a comedy. I, I don't know how, how how it works in those things. The Revenant, you know, I don't know whether Revenant was beating the Martian. Martian is actually a really good movie. I thought you were going to say the Revenant was a, considered a comedy as well. No, that would have that, been that won the that won the sort of best whatever you, yeah. drama or whatever. But um, yeah, the Martian's brilliant. But I don't know how they got comedy. There are, I suppose, a couple of funny bits in it. But like, it's kind of not really a. I would say it's a drama. The biggest reaction of the Golden Globes came when Sylvester Stallone was won the Best Supporting Actor for his role in Creed, the latest in the Rocky franchise. And we actually talk about that on our latest podcast, which could be out now, depending on when you're listening to this football show, with another of the stars of that movie, Tony Bellew. Tony's one of the top pro boxers in the UK. He's been British champion from Liverpool. He's the world's biggest Everton fan, which uh, was became quite clear during our chat with him, during which he mentioned Ross Barkley featuring quite heavily in how he actually in the story of how he got the role in the first place. So have a listen to that. But before we wrap up this one, Ken, quite a bit of news coming from Spain today. Yeah, there is. Um, and this is, this is really quite big news. Uh, it's going to have some implications for over the next year, which is that FIFA have banned uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid uh, from signing any players for the next two transfer windows. Um, remember this happened with Barcelona? Yep. And they held them to it. Yep. So that means that, you know, Barcelona had to do it, and I'm pretty sure Real Madrid and Atletico well, Madrid... Why are they... What's the... What have they done wrong? Oh, infringing, little... infringing transfer uh, regulations, you know, right. signing players they weren't uh, that weren't eligible to sign for them, underage players, blah, 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 you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, kind of, it was quite messy, I remember, the Barcelona, around the, the time of the Barcelona story. Mm. Um... But what, I mean, that means, uh, okay, so what, what does it mean? Immediately, it means that it's great news for Manchester United because David De Gea can't go to Real Madrid oh, until yeah. at least three transfer windows oh, away. Yeah. There's the, um, you know, so we're talking about the earliest date they could now sign him would be winter 2017 or, you know, sorry, January 2018, Right. Am I right? Am I right about that? This literally Hang could on. be the difference between Manchester United winning. No, sorry, a... summer. Sorry, they could sign him summer, twenty seventeen. That's 18, 18 months, right? Yeah. So it's at least one more season that you know Manchester United can keep him. He can't go to Real Madrid. Maybe he could go somewhere else. But Real Madrid were the club that wanted him. That seems mm. to be where he wanted to go. Bet they're wishing they'd managed to get that document uh, faxed mm. off. Yeah. In time now, yeah. but it also means Garrett Bale's probably going to be stuck in Spain for another. Year. Yeah. Oh, because he can't send anyone yeah. to replace him. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't see any. Um, I, I suddenly don't see any chance of him or indeed uh, Cristiano Ronaldo leaving there uh, in the next year. But I wonder what it means for Fiorentino Perez because his whole thing is signing players. Like that's what he. That he's that's what he loves most about football is signing players for world record sums, and now he can't sign anyone. <laughs> This is this is really going to cramp his style. He might have to focus on just you know running the club as opposed to making grand statements there in every transfer window. And then you know sitting uh, in. The can you? They're they're so screwed now. I mean, really, like they're already way behind Barcelona. Now they can't sign anyone. It's like although if we're talking about them also being able to keep. Bale and Ronaldo, then truly, in a way, that could be a blessing. As Murph suggests, maybe that could be a blessing in disguise. They've got to build a club no, now. They can, they can maybe, I don't know, even introduce one or two youth players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they're going to have to do that, I suppose. But like, you know, I don't, Bale and Ronaldo aren't good enough now. I don't really see necessarily them getting better than they already are. Uh, I, mean, I mean, when I say they're not good enough, I don't mean 
I mean, they're obviously amazing, but they're just not good enough to beat Barcelona, to finish ahead of Barcelona, you know. Speaking of whom, actually, there was a quite funny exchange between uh, Lionel Messi and Alvaro, the Espanol player, mm-hmm. who quite clearly went up to Messi and was like, hey, Messi, uh, you're so small. <laughs> this, <laughs> was, he, this was an attempted sledging. Yeah, hey, Messi, you're pretty small, aren't you? And, he, and he, to emphasise his point, he made a little gesture as though he was patting About a, five foot off the ground. As though he was patting a very small person on the head. And uh, Messi kind of looked at him and then covers his hands in the way that he... It covers his mouth, rather, with his hand in the way that he always does. And uh, supposedly has told him, yeah, but uh, to be honest, you shit, mate. Mm. So... <laughs> and then they both sort of look at each other and then they both start laughing. Isn't it great the way football can bring people together in that way? Leo Messi has... I'm just looking at a photo of him. It's just with regards to his physical stature. You know the way Ronaldo is always. It's sometimes it can be almost a backhanded compliment that Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo has made himself into one of the greatest footballers in the world. He's done all this this work. He's become a physical machine. Leo Messi, when he was first on the scene, was he, he was always going to be small, and that was never going to change height wise. But he didn't look to be in to be the most physically robust. Young fella, and you look at him now. I've got there's a photo in front of me here, myself and Angel Di Maria after an Argentina game. Uh, it must be relatively recently, and he's serious six pack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, look, he's. Uh, it's maybe it's not a part of the messy story that gets mentioned much, but he he looks to he looks to have done as much work on his physique as Ronaldo has. Just stopped stuffing pizzas into his mouth, huh? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. It has been mentioned. Yeah, there was an entire uh, yeah. It's it's about it's what it's all about. You know, I mean, Tom Brady, we know we know about his alkaline diet. Uh, there's all these, there's a lot of uh, diets out there, but Messi's diet, uh, Julian, uh, Giuliano Poser was the name of the doctor who he went to see, the Italian doctor who he, who he visited several times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went, he, that's when Messi underwent this transformation from, you know, pudgy-faced doughboy to, I was trying to be nicer about it, but there you go. He now looks like a computer-generated, you know, he's 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 literally these this gaunt face, these kind of sunken, uh, sunken cheeks, and obviously this ten pack mm. uh, that he's got. Um, and how did he do it? Well, he eliminated processed foods and replaced them with foods rich in vitamins, cereals, vegetables, fish, and olive oil. <laughs> so it's simple enough, really. If you can resist eating pizzas and you know fried. Uh, breadcrumb coated veal cheese slices you'll have a six pack yeah thanks Ken thank you Owen thanks Kieran. thank you Owen thank you Ken thank you Kieran. thanks very much hope you enjoy the show talk to you soon what phone is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those, those, those boys even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.